It's Monday, April 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Gentlemen, happy Patriots Day. Patriots Thank Day. You. Wow, I didn't realize that was the case, actually. Well, it's the case in... I guess in that Ma- makes sense, yeah. It's the case in Massachusetts. Boston Marathon today, right? You Boston may Man. have missed any coverage of it. You <laughs> A lot of coverage of the Boston Marathon, as, as is, is probably appropriate, exactly, given yeah. the events last year. And I heard, um, uh, there were 9,000 more entrants or participants in this year's marathon than last year. Well, and two participants from this office, Matt Copenheffer, Seth Jason, are back again. They were there last year. Not only from this office, from this show. From this, <laughs> this show. From this um, company. And they're back. And honestly, by the time those guys are so fast, by the time we finish taping this podcast, I'm pretty sure they're both going to be over the finish line. Yep. Um, those, they, so listeners can be rooting them on. They, <laughs> listeners in the Boston area have time, maybe, exactly. to get down there and cheer yeah, them and on if, at the finish. I assume that anyone in the Boston area or anyone in Massachusetts is not listening today because Patriots, they got the whole day off. Every other state is hard at work today. Massachusetts yeah. taking the day off for Patriots. Yeah. Day, so. <laughs> I'd be running a marathon of a different sort up there. Yeah. It would involve 12-ounce curls. <laughs> That's also happening up there. Right. <laughs> Um, let's. We got LinkedIn in the news. Uh, we will dip into the full mailbag, but it is a big earnings week, and how big? Uh, over a third of the companies in the S and P five hundred are reporting earnings this week. We're going to cover each and every one of them. No, That's big. No, wow. No, we're not. wow. You're going twenty four seven. That is what you call over promising <laughs> and under delivering, folks. Because I can assure you. We'll talk about one, and that's Hasbro. Um, Maybe we'll do another one tomorrow. Maybe we'll do a couple more tomorrow. Uh, Hasbro's first quarter profit actually is a profit, so that's the big news. Hasbro reporting a profit for the first quarter. They break out their business into four divisions, girls, boys, the games division, and the preschool, preschool division. And Jason, once again, it's the girls division that is leading the way up 21%, and that's that's part and parcel of why shares of Hasbro are up today. Girl power. As the uh, father of two daughters, I, I I think I probably chipped in a little bit there. You're, um, you're welcome, yeah, shareholders. You're welcome, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I think you, you'll kind of see the ebb and flow of the girls and the boys' toys divisions. I mean, they, they always come out with these cool little new products for boys, and then every you know everybody runs and gets them. And so you see these toy companies as, as the holidays as near, uh, you know, the revenues continue just to kind of go up. So it's sort of a Q1 through Q4 thing, it just goes in a progression every year. Uh, but I think the real opportunity for Hasbro uh, is going to be in their entertainment and licensing division. I mean, that's really when you when you look at where we are today versus where we were, like even when we were growing up. I mean, you know, you look at you look at 30, 40 years ago, where toys were certainly very different. Uh, physical toys just are living a much shorter life. Uh, today than I think ever before, and I don't. I don't think that's changing. I mean, I think that's just that's just continuing to be the case. And so when you see like the entertainment license, licensing di- uh, division of of the company, it, it makes up about five percent of the company's sales, but it's ten percent of the company's operating profit. So it's it, far better margins, uh, and and so really they're going to need to capitalize that capitalize on that. Uh, for the years to come, and that's that's just kind of licensing out all of their intellectual property, all their properties that uh, that they can throw out on clothes and in movies and on lunchboxes and whatnot. And I mean, you know, that's really why Hasbro and, and its uh, you know its its competitor Mattel are so good, is because they're essentially just they're just kind of big brands. I mean, you can get all those toy brands underneath those umbrellas and just kind of license them out, and they live very long lives. Uh, but I think that's the big opportunity um, as far as profitability goes for this company over the next uh, you know five ten years. I guess what was interesting to me on the 
the report was that one of the big sellers uh, was the Nerf Rebel line. Are yeah. you familiar with this? I I'm, am. I'm only familiar with Nerf, just not the – what is the Nerf Rebel? Well, it, it's for girls, and it, so it's the, like Nerf guns and crossbows and stuff, but in pink and purple. Yeah. <laughs> So it's still the and same I, gun. I, I had one <laughs> well, of these but, things. But, it, but it, it's, it's got the whole like Katniss thing because it's like crossbows. I mean, it was Hunger not, Games. We're tapping into the Hunger Games. We're directly pilfering from Hunger Games, and, and it's working. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I have one uh, girl who's, who's young enough to probably appreciate that got into uh, archery you know, after reading Hunger Games. So I, I can see totally, first of all, why it's – of course, going to be fun to shoot Nerf, you know, arrows at your friends with, with your your crossbow. Uh, boys have loved it for generations, and now the girls are getting in on it. As long as it's marketed to them in pink and purple. I mean, forget girls and boys. Go up to the fifth floor of the Motley Fool Global headquarters, and it's just littered with Nerf weapons. Uh, the yeah. uh, the tech team. Uh, here at Fool HQ, also spending a lot of money. Also, you're welcome, shareholders. But yeah, it's uh... and and you can uh, contrast that with uh, Mattel, which is suffering right now because the biggest uh, aspect of its girl sales is Barbie, and that's not going anywhere. I mean, it is going where it's going down. <laughs> so that's actually worse than going nowhere from Mattel's perspective. We've had more IPOs in the first quarter of 2014 than any quarter since the year 2000. And one of those uh, was uh, King Digital, which is the company behind Candy Crush. And right before it went public, it, it, it did not have one of those soaring IPOs, so it did not end up with a, a market cap bigger than Hasbro. Having said that, <laughs> it is still within a billion or so dollars of Hasbro. And I'm curious if either one of you looks at the run that Hasbro has. It's up today. It's near a 52-week high. I'm wondering if if at least part of it is investors, A, wanting to be in the gaming space, and B, looking at Hasbro and saying, well, gosh, on a valuation basis, this actually makes certainly a lot more sense than King Digital. Well, yeah, on the valuation side, it definitely makes more sense. I think Hasbro sells somewhere around like 25 times earnings or something like that. And I think King Digital, I don't even know there is a multiple there because it's not really profitable yet, is it? No. I mean, I think it's it's. I mean, you know, King Digital is is levered to this to the success of this one game, um, and you know, for for gaming, we we've certainly seen that space change over to the mobile uh, side of things pretty darn quickly. And so, while King Digital, from that perspective, looks like an interesting uh, prospect, you know, it, it's just one game, right? And I think we've talked before about Farmville and and how that you know has is more or less faded into obscurity at this point. So the real the bet on King Digital is do you think they're going to come up with something else? And even if they do, is it going to really matter? Because, I mean, everybody and their brothers coming up with a game at this point, and you have Zynga, and, I mean, Amazon's out there building them. you got Activision Blizzard out there trying to you know garner all this talent. So I think gaming on its own is, is – that's a really difficult investment. Uh, but, but that's why Activision Blizzard from that perspective looks so good because they have the talent, the money, and the resources to do those kinds of things. Hasbro, you know, gaming is just going to be one little part of, of that bigger of that bigger pie, and so I mean, it's it's no surprise to the stock having having done so well at this point. Yeah, uh, in terms of the stock, uh, the the performance for Hasbro as compared to both the the sector and the S and P looks better the longer you're looking at. Yeah. So, fifteen year good, ten year good. Five year, not as good. Three year, really not as good. So, 
some of that has to do with things just very specific to the time period. In 2011, Hasbro uh, didn't have a very good year. And, uh, but the, the trends aren't, aren't great in terms of massive growth there for the company. It's got a lot of different things, does things well. They're, they're part of America, uh, but they're not uh, big growth things. And today, uh, right now, more investors are uh, investing in riskier things like the, the growth potential of, of you know, King Digital uh, and some other things that we'll talk about. Uh, rather than your established cash flows, and Hasbro, just it's worth noting. I mean, the company yields more than three percent uh, on its dividend. So, I mean, even though you, you, you know, investors probably aren't going to see a, a terrible amount of growth from the stock over the course of the next five years. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it is a pretty reliable cash machine, and so it's a pretty good look for an income investor's uh, style of investment. The market was closed last Friday. LinkedIn took Friday uh, as the opportunity to announce that it now has more than 300 million members. The majority of them are outside the United States. On the one hand, Jason, hey, they're growing their member base. When they reported earnings in late February, they at the time said they had about 277 million. So they're they're growing their members. Yet I'm wondering how meaningful is that? I mean, yes, it's a big round number, but uh, all, all I can all I can think about is is Twitter and the fact that the majority of Twitter's users are outside the United States, but the overwhelming majority of the revenue Twitter makes is inside the United States. And I'm wondering if LinkedIn is is going to be running into that same problem. Uh, possibly. I mean, Twitter certainly is is a little bit of a different machine, just in that it's it's a communication platform and it's it's solely based on advertising at this point. The thing with LinkedIn, uh, the risk I think that investors take with LinkedIn, at least. Now, I, I like the way that the company diversifies its revenue streams. It makes money from premium subscriptions, it makes some money from advertising, but the majority of its money is made from the licenses that you know they sell uh, companies' recruiting departments, and so. Um, that that is going to be the key for this company's future. I mean, that's going to be its its bread and butter is is sort of selling this information to these to these headhunters to these uh, and to these uh, human relations uh, human resource departments. But I mean, uh, that that can go both ways because I mean they can only they can only realize so much pricing power on that on that side of the business before companies either figure out a, a, another way to do it. Uh, or, or there, you know, another competitor enters the fray, and and I think with LinkedIn, that's the thing that you have to look out for is that the more registered users, the more members that it it brings into that to that uh, environment, that's that's great because that's more information, that's more connections that can be made, uh, and that's more endorsements that people can throw up there. But by the same token, I mean, how many times during the week do you see an email come through saying, "Hey, blah 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 has endorsed you for"? Valuation, and you're like, well, my name's Chris Hill. I don't value stocks. I just, I'm, I'm a radio guy. And so, I mean, is it meaningful? No. Is is that an extreme example? Yes. But the point is that I think a lot of these things are are somewhat diluted, and so the value of that database over time could could actually go down if they don't monitor that and, and keep a, a close eyes on it. But um, but yeah, I mean, the more members they bring in, the more valuable that that information potentially becomes to to employers, and and certainly it's a it's a much bigger world than than just the United States. You know, I, I think there are two elements people should look at. One is it is very hard to uh, value uh, hypergrowth, and and there's still 
maybe not quite in the hypergrowth, but but whatever the word is that comes in between hypergrowth and growth. What is that word? Uh, medium, Mega growth, modest growth. Me, it's medium, not, uh, it's medium hypergrowth. <laughs> medium. <laughs> It's like plaid. You've got medium, you've got high, you've got that medium high setting. It sounds yeah. like medium high. Medium but high. it's 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 hard to uh project that out for three, five, seven years um to come up with a, that element of the valuation. On the other hand, uh what I do like about it is that the revenues are coming from things which are less flighty than right. something like King Digital where the hit game Really, you know, could be uh, totally irrelevant. For all we know, Candy Crush will be something we will have a hard time remembering the name of in in eighteen months, and uh, that that won't be the case for employment in offices, which I think will be going strong in in eighteen months. I was going to say, Kara Chambers, who is our head of recruiting here at the Motley Fool, has raved about LinkedIn. So we're one of those companies that Jason referred to that. Pays LinkedIn some presumably vast sum of money uh, every quarter, every month, whatever it is, and uh, she could not be more pleased. Now, uh, I, I can't imagine she's the only one. So I, I, I don't know to what extent, if any, LinkedIn talks that up. Their customer satisfaction. Well, they will now. Well, <laughs> you've uh, pimped for them. Uh, well, I heard mean, on market <laughs> Well, I, and. It, I, I, having said all that, has Kara authorized you to start spreading this around? <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those ask forgiveness rather than permission <laughs> yeah. kind of things. Who knows? You know, um, you know, maybe I'll be getting an email later today. Um, but, but on the flip side, as someone who is on LinkedIn, I'm not paying them. I'm on LinkedIn. I've sort of had a, a diminishing experience as someone who is on LinkedIn. Granted, it's a free experience. I'm not paying them anything. But I, and part of it is I'm. It's not so much the endorsements, Jason. It's the the people who are attempting to link to me, and who are from completely different industries. That I, I just they're sort of your, lo- they're your listeners. Aren't no, they? I, I don't think. Or so. they just hear that you work at the Motley Fool and they want to figure out any sort of in to possibly get a job. Maybe if I linked with Chris, Hill, I, I could put it. They should I, be contacting Kara. They should be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Kara Chambers is who you want to reach out to there. But I, I think you key in on something interesting there because the, you know one of the biggest questions about LinkedIn I think a lot of us have is the engagement side of it, and so I, I think we're all on LinkedIn to some. Extent? Are, are you? you? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, well, exactly. I mean, we're like, oh, I don't. Are you on LinkedIn? Not only any any of us pays for a, a premium uh, subscription. So you know, LinkedIn wants us to keep our user profiles up to date, and, and they want us to engage. Uh, one of the ways they worked on creating engagement was through having influencers. Right, and so you have like this handful of I think maybe maybe it was hundred two hundred some odd people um, who were influencers, and they were sort of you know encouraged by LinkedIn to put out content on a periodic basis and create a reason for people to go back there. And I will say it is educational. I go there from time to time to find good things to read. Uh, but but one thing they did is they opened up that influencer platform to say, okay, well we're not going to pick influencers. Basically, anyone can be an influencer now. If you use LinkedIn and you feel like it's a great platform for you to disseminate content that you want people to read and and you have content that people want want to read you know reach out to us let us know they basically have opened that up so that that you know influencers can be pretty much anyone and i think that was an acknowledgement of at least the challenge that they have 
on the engagement side. And so, you know, the past 10 years with, with LinkedIn, with Twitter, with Facebook, it was all about growing that user base. And so growing that user base is, is, is a big deal, obviously. But these next 10 years and beyond are really going to be about engagement for these guys. And it's why you see, you know, Facebook making these acquisitions, uh, you know, Twitter making these little acquisitions to get more data, to figure out new ways to sort of become more things to more people. And so LinkedIn, I think that's going to be their challenge is figuring out a way to keep people coming back for more because it really is – it's difficult to say, well, if, if you have a job and you're, you're happy with your job, then, then why would you go to LinkedIn? It, it would be for the content. So they have to just figure out a way to get compelling content out there. Yeah, although the, the number of people who are not perfectly happy in their job is, you know, close to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not under the illusion that people are happy I mean, don't, don't are as happy with their jobs as I am with mine. So don't get me wrong. But, but I, 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 your point is well taken. I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I, I, at some level or at some point, right? You know, that's that's a really large audience, and and when you're unhappy with your job, that's the kind of dominating part of your life. Yeah. And so, LinkedIn establishing itself as a place for those—that's always going to be tens of millions of people. We'll just wrap up the LinkedIn conversation by my plug for culture.fool.com, which is our <laughs> internal website. Because if you're not happy with your job, we're hiring here at The Motley Fool. So, and that's where the jobs are posted, culture.fool.com. I thought it, they were jobs.fool.com. I don't, that may redirect to the same place. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm just here giving this information. Anne is giving thumbs up. And Okay, so either one. Redirect. You get, yeah, jobs is easier to spell. Keep, so keep that LinkedIn keep that LinkedIn resume up to date. Exactly. You can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our handle. I got a question on Twitter from Mike Underell in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'd love to hear you guys talk about if Airbnb goes public, what it could mean for the hotel industry. For those who may not know, Airbnb is a home sharing company. There is talk that the company may go public later in 2014, and part of that is fueled by the fact that they just closed a round of financing to the tune of $500 million. So. Always. These financing <laughs> rounds prompt the IPO talk, don't they? What would that mean for the hotel industry? I've never used Airbnb. I just uh, was out in Arizona and used VRBO, uh, Vacation Rental by Owner. Um, for the first time, had a great experience. Uh, find a great place in the Flagstaff area, but I've never used Air. Have either of you ever used Airbnb? I've, I've no. never used it, I've though. I've read some funny articles about, about, it. about it. Okay, yeah. What was that? Didn't Steve Broido send like a Broido, the man behind the glass? Like he sent us a, an article a while back about some uh, Airbnb thing with. I I don't know that it's really probably suitable material for this. Maybe we'll talk about it. After we'll talk. Well, let's, let's find this out before piqued people's interest. What well, could they Google to find what? that article? E- email email <laughs> us, and maybe we'll send you like a. Maybe we'll send you the link. How about we'll that? talk to Steve after the tape in the outtakes. Um, but in t- but in terms of the hotel industry, you're probably not thrilled about any competition and and a home sharing company. I mean, just using myself as an example, uh, having a one very good experience with uh, this sort of vacation rental by owner website, I'm definitely going to be using that again, which means that some hotel in the Flagstaff area lost out on my business. 
yeah, although they appreciate Flagstaff appreciates you mentioning them so often because <laughs> that's helping helping their business. You, you, uh, I don't think that Airbnb is going to do what the, to the hotel industry what Amazon did to the booksellers industry. Uh, I think that you know a book is a book, and and the experience in a hotel is going to be a continue to be the preferable one over hanging out in somebody's house for large numbers of people, and and large numbers of people will find that you know a, a bed. Uh, in in somebody's house while they're on vacation, or for a short term rental, or something like that, um, it works for them. Uh, I think that right now Airbnb is, or some of Airbnb's users uh, are in trouble. Uh, the New York uh, State Attorney General, I think, is investigating um, the use of Airbnb as a platform for people to illegally sublet uh, apartments, or that is the allegation um so it'll it will have some some bumps like that uh but i i mean airbnb is just a platform they're not uh, a wrongdoer here uh, as far as i i can tell so uh there's a huge market there for people to make more use of, of spare rooms in their their houses so i think there is whether it, it's, it justifies a $10 billion valuation goes back to the same sort of problem of how do you value hypergrowth. Um, but uh, I, I can certainly see you're talking about your experience and, and many others that it, it'll be a bigger part of our lives or people's uh, people we know to hang out in somebody's house on vacation than it used to be. But if you're Marriott, you're not, in a, you're not worried yet. You're probably keeping your eye on it, but you're not worried. Uh, you know, th- things are just to reasonably pick one publicly traded reasonably hotel. <laughs> good for the hotel industry right now in terms of of business travel uh, and and leisure travel uh, better than they were uh, a few years back. Uh, yeah, you're. I mean, you it, you should constantly be worried about new new threats to your business uh, to succeed. But I don't I don't think they're they're going to panic about this the way bookseller sellers should have panicked. Uh, you know, when Amazon first came around. Yeah, so two things. Uh, listeners, you can go to Google and just Google Airbnb and the word orgy, and then that will you will find the link to the story that I was talking about. I'm gonna, you decide, okay? But that's all you need to know. You do that, and you'll see what we're talking about. And I think maybe that's that's one of the risks. Sounds sounds like a lot of work for me to do yeah, all that. Exactly. Can you just go ahead and tell me what the story mean, is? Maybe you have voice search on your tablet or your phone, and that makes it a little bit easier. I don't know, but um, I, I think that you know, I think that Bill made a, a good point there about sort of it's sort of that feeling you're going into someone's house. I mean, I, I don't know how attractive that necessarily is for everyone or how convenient it is. But I think a, a good example of the position, at least, that Airbnb is trying to put them in, put themselves in, is that uh, they, they want to be, you know, a, a an option out there. And for Berkshire Hathaway, for example, the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, which is coming up here, I think, in May, and Warren Buffett was even out there really, I mean, kind of, he's kind of not so happy about hotels trying to take advantage of oh, yeah. shareholders and really and jacking the prices up and and taking what he said basically you'd call it taking advantage. Now, I mean, for me, kind of, I look at Buffett and I think, well, man, you're a capitalist big guy. You should probably be okay with all that. I mean, but by the same token, he was pushing people to try Airbnb, and he was like, hey, there's an option out there other than the hotel. If the hotel's trying to charge you too much, 
maybe consider Airbnb. So you get Warren Buffett saying those words. That's free advertising, obviously. Um, and I think that's just it. They'll be seen as as an option out there. Um, I don't know how attractive an option it is. I mean, I kind of probably would rather go ahead and pay for the hotel room and just have the freedom and not feel like I'm I'm under someone else's roof. But you're always under someone else's roof, aren't you? Yeah, I think that there are spaces like that, uh, like going to the Berkshire meeting where you just can't get a hotel room close in um, at a certain point going to a reunion and, you know, you know, oh, all the hotel rooms are going to be sold out. So uh, that'll be sort of more of an opportunity, I think, for the people who are uh, putting rooms out for use on Airbnb uh, to, to suck up that overflow at that time, whether that puts pressure on hotels uh, to to not jack their prices up during you know high peak season, you know time will tell. Maybe but. it does, but I mean it's I doubt someone you know someone may be able to use their house sort of as an Airbnb option for that week in Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. But I imagine the other fifty one weeks out of the year, it's going to be a little bit of a different play, right? I don't know they necessarily have so much. Uh, <laughs> pricing power in that market. Are you going to the Berkshire meeting this year? No, not this year. I went a couple of years back. Um, that's probably the only one I'll go to, but it, it was a, a great experience, a lot of fun. You're not going, are you? No. We will, uh, on this week's Motley Fool Money radio show, we will get a preview of the upcoming Berkshire Hathaway meeting uh, with our guest, Becky Quick from CNBC. She'll be our guest this weekend. All right, Jason Moser, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 